Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Genesis 4. Genesis 4. And I want to start with verse number 25 this evening. And uh, read just a couple verses of scripture here in the book of beginnings. The Bible says, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son, called his name Seth, for God, said she, hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. And to Seth, to him also there was born a son, he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Can everybody say that last phrase with me? Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. For a little while this evening, I'd like to minister this subject matter. The rebirth of prayer. The rebirth of prayer. Hallelujah. Can we bow our heads all in this place? But as we bow our heads, let us lift our voices. Father, I come to you right now. I'm asking, O oh Lord, for that same spirit, Lord, that filled Jennifer with the Holy Ghost tonight. God, fill this place, every heart, every mind. God, Lord, the minister of this gospel, fill my heart tonight. God, with acceptable words. God, for this body of believers. God, we're thankful, Lord, for what's taking place in here. We connect with that. God, we get under the load of that tonight, Lord, and we extol your great name. Lord, speak to us tonight through your word. Let seed fall. I pray, God, hopefully upon good ground that will take root and grow according to your perfect work. In the name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen and amen. Everybody say amen. Amen. Amen tonight. You may be seated as long as you shake somebody's hand as you are. Everybody say the rebirth of prayer. Amen. The rebirth of prayer. I think it's quite, it's quite apparent, but in case you don't know, prayer is not a newly discovered practice. Now, I know in the society and the world in which we live, it may be or seem as though a newly discovered practice for our society because very commonly now upon the lips, the hearts and minds of people is the subject matter of prayer. Because we have a necessity to pray because of an administration. Uh, It's necessary for us to pray because all of these tragic terrorist events that have happened uh, here, there, and yon about our world. It's necessary to pray because of an economic woe that has been upon now our, our United States in particular for several years. The slump and the woe. And so people are talking about prayer. But from me just searching today, the the most recent search that I did on Amazon books on the internet today for the the, the prayer category reaches 85,405 books that they have available on the subject matter of prayer. And several of those first pages that you would pan through uh, in those section of books are just some that were released within the last year. I'm talking about pages that have been dedicated to books that have just been released in the last year on prayer. More than ever before, you'll hear the subject matter of prayer. 
whether it's in a religious or even non-religious setting, people have an idea, a focus of making prayer some type of pursuit. More than ever before, there is literature on prayer. There's seminars about prayer. They're talking about the subject of prayer and prayer being a primary focus of one's life. The medical world in recent years or decade has spoken about prayer. They have attest to the fact that uh, how meditation can relieve a person's stress and how it can reduce the symptoms of some very chronic illnesses and some even attest to the fact that it may eliminate those chronic illnesses altogether, just taking time to meditate what we would call pray, amen, to a God. There's nothing wrong tonight, and I endorse, read everything you can about prayer. Hear everything you can about prayer. Hear all the teaching, the preaching, the seminars that you can on prayer. Uh, in my lifetime, I've read a lot of books outside of the Bible concerning the subject matter of prayer. As a matter of fact, if I were to recommend uh, uh, anybody concerning the matter of prayer in book format, I would recommend to you E.M. Bounds on the subject of prayer. An old patriarch of years gone by that wrote very convincingly on the subject matter of prayer. So there isn't nothing wrong with reading the Bible and seeing the scriptures on prayer. Nothing wrong with reading a book about prayer. Absolutely nothing wrong with hearing preaching and teaching or seminars that are on prayer. And to some degree, all of us has been exposed to that. We've read, we've, we've read in magazines, we've read little quotes, we've read all kinds of stuff in literature that is secular and both religious on the subject matter of prayer. But I do declare this evening, and I'm trying not to go too fast, but I'm excited about prayer tonight. I do say this evening that nothing will promote prayer and nothing will teach us to pray or inspire us to pray anything more than just praying itself. There's not a book, a literature, there's not a seminar or a message that can bring the inspiration or promote prayer any more in your life than just getting down dirty with God and just opening your mouth, letting some words flow into him and just getting busy about praying. This concept of prayer is just as old tonight as the world itself. Amen. The creation of man in the book of Genesis was a hands-on creation. Unlike any other thing up until that particular time, the Bible says that God formed man, that God breathed into man, that God put man, the Bible says God put man in the garden in the eastward part of Eden. The Bible even declares that God spoke to the man. And so evidently tonight, this idea, this subject matter of prayer, this communication of God with man and man with God was normal right from the very beginning of time. Prayer was a normal thing. Prayer was a regular thing. The Bible says that the first family heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the scripture goes on to tell us that this voice is even deemed as the presence of the Lord God. They said we heard the voice of the Lord God, Genesis 3 and 8, there it is. We heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. doesn't say they hid themselves from the voice, but they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. 
Because without the technology like we have today, where you can record your voice on a cell phone or record it with a sound system or in some digital format. In those days, not having that type of technology, this one thing is certain. The voice of one indicated the presence of the same. If you heard the voice of a person, there was no electronic recording in order for that to take place. So if you heard the voice of a person, then the person was there. Can someone say amen? That's the reason why in New Testament scripture of Acts chapter number 12 that whenever they were having a prayer meeting because Peter is in prison and he's been incarcerated and in John Mark's mother's house they're praying that something might happen, something might take place, that there might be some type of deliverance that as they're having their prayer meeting concerning the situation, the Bible says a knock comes on the door and Rhoda the damsel goes to the door to see who's there. And the Bible tells us in Acts 12, 14 that whenever she heard the voice, whenever she heard the voice of Peter, she went back to the others with gladness. She was exuberant. And she told them, hey, Peter is at the door. Well, what are you talking about? He's at the door. Because in those times, if there's a voice, then there's the presence of whose voice that is. Someone say glory. And so in our prayers and in our communication with God tonight, are talking to God and God talking to us. We say God talks to us. And I know many people attest to the fact, well, I never heard God audibly speak to me. And that's entirely okay. But there's times that you've had impressions. There's times that you've had feelings. There have been voices that's in your head sometimes that have spoke into your spirit that you've recognized that to be the spirit of the Lord. You've recognized that to be God speaking to you although it was not in audible form or in audible fashion. And whenever you hear that voice, although it may be in your mind, it may be an impression, it may be intuitively there, you recognize that and say, I heard God speak to me or God said so and so and God said such and such. But can I declare you to tonight that just as it was then, so is it now for you concerning your prayer time with God. That if you hear God speaking to you, it's not that it's some recording that he's recorded and kept for you. If God's voice is speaking to you, then God is there with you. That's the reason why I perk up whenever I'm at different places and somebody else is preaching and they say from the pulpit, God has spoke to me because if God is speaking to them, then I'm not just in an empty room with other people, but I'm in the room where the presence, the power, the demonstration, the possibility of God is there. Yes. Someone say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Bible declares very plainly that Adam and Eve were afraid not because of the voice but because of their condition their fear was not due to the voice which tells me they have had interchange with the voice they were accustomed to the voice it wasn't abnormal to hear the voice but it was because of their condition that communication with God that voice, that presence was a normal thing for that early family. If I say it like this, prayer was the normal thing for that early family in the eastward part of Eden. 
but not normally under the circumstances that they are under right now, at least not for them. From the beginning, communication with God, prayer had always been up until that time of transgression. Prayer had always been under the umbrella of a humanity that was in perfect harmony with God. But now there's a communication coming from God that there is no longer that umbrella of humanity being in perfect harmony with God. Now humanity has transgressed. I remember writing down this quote last year at General Ministry Conference. Brother Matthew Ball doing a seminar on prayer. He stated this. He said one of the hardest times to pray is when you mess up. He said Adam didn't want to talk to God when he messed up. But look, God still wanted to talk to Adam. There's different reasons why we don't pray. It's amazing how different they are. Sometimes we don't want to pray because we don't feel like we deserve to pray. We've made too many mistakes to pray. We flubbed up today, so why should we enter into the presence of an almighty to pray? There are other times we don't pray, and if I could say it one way, we don't feel like we need to pray. There's sometimes we feel like we're too bad to pray. There's other times we feel like we're too good to pray. Amen. Sometimes we use our lack of prayer for not praying. I'm not going to pray on day number six because I haven't prayed the other five days that preceded day number six. So I'm not going to pray on day number six because I haven't prayed the last five days. And we use that as a reason not to pray. It's those though we have in our mind. And I don't know where this comes from. Amen. But in our mind, we get the idea sometimes as though there's got to be a certain level of goodness in our life in order to approach God. There's got to be a certain level of, of dignity, a certain level of piety in our life in order to approach God. But ladies and gentlemen, at its root, at its root, listen to me tonight, true access in the Old Testament was given based upon one primary thing. It was given on the basis primary thing called a need. People were granted in the Old Testament primarily access to God because there was need. Someone say amen. And sure, in the Old Testament time, we read of the proper guidelines. We read of the proper plans that are given on how a man or a high priest should approach God. But that was only given. The guidelines were only given only because you could approach God. You know, there's rules and regulations about how you drive on the road because you have the ability, a privilege of being able to drive on the road. If you never had the privilege of driving on the road, there would necessitate no rules or regulations for how to drive on the road. So the guidelines of the Old Testament about how they should approach was only necessary because there was an opportunity to them that they could approach a holy God. Someone say amen. But in the New Testament scripture... Access to God was never granted in the New Testament scripture based upon your goodness or my goodness. I read in the New Testament scripture that whenever Jesus hung there on that cross suspended between heaven and earth, that when he gave up the ghost, amen, when his body had been pierced, 
from brow to side to hands to feet and that veil of his flesh had been pierced and torn and he gave up the ghost that the veil in the temple to the holies of holies was rent in twain not because the people of humanity were good but because he who hung upon the cross was good not due to our goodness was that access granted but it was due to his goodness that access was granted therefore all of humanity boy and girl young and old of every race and creed has full access now to the presence of the Lord not because you're good but because God is good So I'm too bad to enter into the press. I'm too bad to pray. I've done too much today in my lifetime in the past week to go and approach the Lord today. That is a bunch of nonsense because your goodness never granted you access into his presence anyway. Your goodness never allowed you to enter into a place of prayer with communion with God and God communing with you anyway. And so if you do just the theory of the thinking, consider this. If your goodness didn't get you in his presence, how can your badness, so to speak, take you out of his presence? if your goodness didn't allow you to approach a holy God with prayer how do you think your mess ups of today are going to disallow you to enter in at your bed tonight and lift up your voice in prayer and supplication and thanksgiving to God it's not amen too bad to pray I'm too good to pray don't need prayer Prayer, no test based upon need, man. You got, you got to consider the need in order to pray. I'm too bad to pray. Done too much. Been five days without prayer. I can't pray on the sixth day. I've been five days without. Now, is that good reasoning? I've been praying for five days. I can't pray on day number six. What's God going to think? You know, I really wouldn't be so concerned what he's thinking about day number six as much as he did the last five, you know. Pray. The early family, the transgression happened. So now prayer is taking place under a different umbrella. It's taking place under a fallen race, fallen humanity. We're not tur- talking about the eternal bliss and everything's divine Satan, Southern Illinois terms, hunkadori. All right, all is well. We're talking about the apple cart has been shook a little bit. It's not under the same measure as it once was. And no doubt as a result of that, even Adam and Eve were a little bit guessy about whether or not they could still talk to God because we're in a fallen nature. And to say that sin isn't evil, I would be a liar to tell you that it isn't because it is. I believe a decent indicator of the evilness of sin, the pernicious way of sin, can be realized in the actions of one of their sons, namely by the name of Cain. When we read in Scripture, Cain killed his brother. And this has always amazed me. But Cain, in a certain sense... Cain killed his brother when there was no precedent set before him of another murder. Cain killed when there was no other story in the newspaper. There was no other account on the public records of this ever having to been performed. And we understand then undoubtedly that this murderous action of Cain must have flowed from his parents and the taking of the tree, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And whenever sin entered the picture, there would be now very shortly after that some things that would begin to materialize that had never entered the heart of man 
or the mind of man before the sin that was in the garden. I want you to consider for a moment, just considering the idea of this, this communion with God of prayer before the transgression. Consider this. I was just thinking of this just tonight as I was praying in the prayer room. It came to my mind. Bishop, these were the only two individuals in the world. Now, I don't think God has any more undivided attention now than what he did then. But they're the only two individuals in the world. Nobody else is around praying. There's not somebody over in China or in Africa that's lifting up their needs and all of their concerns to God. There's just Adam and Eve. Can you imagine the potency of the power that's coming from that great creator of the universe right there as two individuals unflawed are just meditating, praying and talking to their master. But then sin enters the picture. It disrupts things. Things start to go downward very quickly. Cain murders his brother. The Bible speaks of the lineage of Cain, one by the name of Lamech. Look at this. Lamech was the first on Cain's side. That, that division of Cain's lineage was the first to digress, listen to me, to digress from the original plan of God of a marriage consisting of one man and one woman and they two become in one flesh. Lamech through the line of Cain was the first individual in scripture to digress from that and marry two wives according to the Bible. Sin. Just a little format began to weave its web through humanity. And so we have the first family. They're in a fallen nature. Abel, one of the boys, is already dead. Cain is, well, according to Genesis 4, 16, Cain and Cain, the Bible says, went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. In the beginning, in Acts 3, they said we heard a voice. They summed up then that voice was the presence. Oh, that voice of communion that talked to them that they reciprocated and talked back to, that voice was the presence. That voice, that intermingling, that prayer session it wasn't just a voice, but it was the presence of the Lord. Cain went out from that presence. He went out from that voice. If I can't say Cain disengaged in his prayer with the Almighty God. And he goes to the land of Nod, which means to stray or to wonder, which was the curse that was spoken over Cain because of his deed. You'll be a fugitive and you'll be a vagabond in the land. And so he goes to a, a land of Nod, which means to stray or to wonder, leaving the presence of the Lord, leaving the voice of the Lord, leaving that prayer session of God. And the Bible says he didn't just go though away from God, away from his presence, away from that prayer. The Bible says there in the land of the strain or in the land of the wandering that Cain began to build or was building a city in that location. Can I tell you that not only did Cain leave the presence of the Lord, but he was attempting to build a place of permanent 
permanence outside of the presence of the Lord. It's not that he was just skipping a few days of prayer, but he was going to try to attempt to make a lifestyle of prayerlessness. Someone say amen. Huh. And the Bible says in due process of time, Cain and his wife, we don't know her name, we'll call her Mrs. Cain. Cain and Mrs. Cain bear a son by the name of Enoch. Now this is Cain's Enoch, not the descendant of Seth Enoch. There's two Enochs right here very early in Scripture. But Enoch, they bore a son by the name of Enoch, which means initiation. In other words, suggesting a new beginning. But the beginning that was taking place right here, understand, was a new beginning, a beginning that was without God, a beginning that was without prayer, a beginning that was without a voice, a beginning that was without his presence. I want us to understand something right away tonight concerning the subject matter of prayer in this month of May. That prayer was never, never stationed in the future of mankind as some level for him to get to or aspire to or climb to. Prayer started with man in the very beginning. And if anything, it's a level that we digress from. It was never set before us as something we had to somehow get reaching to. We were set at a place of prayer. And if anything, the only thing we can do is digress from it. Amen. And when we look at Cain and we look at his family and descendants, we evaluate them from a human point of view. Cain's descendants seem to be on a human standard. A very precious, exciting, valuable lot of people. We look through his descendants and there is one by the name of Jabel whose name means wanderer. The Bible says that he knew how to evidently live and pitch tents and knew how to rear and raise and guide cattle. He was the founder or the father, if you will, of the science of agriculture. Came from the loins of Cain. We look further in the list and there is then another descendant by the name of Jubal. Don't get the two, Jabel and Jubal, all right? Jubal, amen. The Bible says he knew how to work the instruments of the harp and the organ. Jubal, it came from the descendant of Cain. He, he was in the arts, he was a cultured man, you know. Knew how to do the harp, knew how to do the organ. Then there was another descendant of Cain by the name of Tubal, all right? We got Jabel, we got Jubal, we got Tubal Cain. Tubal Cain is his name. Hey, Tubal Cain was his name. The Bible says that he was an instructor of all the people that worked in metals of brass and of iron. For one thing, let me pause just for a moment. This is pre-flood days, okay? There's not much even in science, archaeology, anthropology that goes back predated before the pre-flood days. Very little. And yet we have in our history, they say we went through a Bronze Age a stone age, all these other things. And pre-flood days, according to Scripture, they're already working with brass and iron. They already got agriculture, and they already have the music culture started before the flood ever came. Now, that's just for consideration. So we have all these sons here. Man, we have agriculture, we have music, we have the metal industry that's going on. All of these sons' names, the Jabel, the Jubal, the Tubal. Hallelujah, man, we almost... Hallelujah, have church over that, can we? Amen. Have all these different names. They, they all come from the same Hebrew stem, meaning yabel, which means to produce or to be highly productive, amazingly productive. So there was a bunch of productive guys. Really productive. 
had it all going, man. Culture, agriculture, success, maybe according to the standard of man, had everything that would seem to be very prize-worthy according to the human viewpoint, yet they were without the voice. They were outside the presence. They were disengaged concerning prayer. Let me pause here for a moment and say likewise this evening that old Jubal had the harp and the organ. And there are some things that music cannot do for you. I'm not down talking music. I love it. It is absolutely biblical as a part. David, if there was ever a guy that was involved in music, he was involved in it. But let me tell you, there are some areas that the music will not get you that can only come by his voice, by his presence, by prayer. Someone say amen. And the Bible says in this setting of all this productiveness that's going on through the loins of Cain and the descendants of Cain, the Bible says in Genesis 4.26, and to Seth, to him also, there was born a son. And he called his name Enos. Now Seth was given to Adam and Eve in the stead of Abel. He was a son that was given, if you will, as a substitute, as a replacement for Abel who was killed by Cain. And the Bible says that he came and he had a son and he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. They began to call on the name of the Lord. Everybody say they started praying. They started praying. Now, whenever I come and begin to speak about this, I'm not talking about the first instance of prayer. The first instance of prayer was with Adam and Eve and God. But what I am talking about tonight is a rebirthing of prayer. Right here in Genesis chapter number four. We have already seen prayer from the very beginning. But now right here in Genesis 4, Haman through the descendants of Cain, we see everything that they have a a bend toward the secular, a bend toward the natural. But right here we have something coming from the loins of Seth that is something sacred, something that is holy, something that is set apart. We're seeing a revival of prayer in the midst of a rather self-sufficient generation, a self-sufficient stage of life. Now the presence of the Lord is being inquired of in the generations of Seth. Can someone say, Amen. Amen. It was not uncommon throughout the pages of Scripture that very oftentimes the Lord would send a baby, the Lord would send a child to somehow bring God's people back to where God's people needed to be. He would sometime make a child born at the appropriate time that he would be at the right age whenever the people needed victory, whenever they need to arm themselves and they need a warrior or deliverer. God staged it all just perfectly on the timetable that a child would be born and would be raised and reared for the purpose of doing that for God's people. We see throughout scripture in the book of Exodus that during the Jews' difficult times in Egypt that there was a baby born, Moses, three months old. His mom said, I can't throw him in the river he's a goodly child something's going to happen with him and as a result of that he later became the liberator of God's people in bondage God caused the child to be born for the liberation of his people the Bible tells us in Samuel that whenever the lamp of prophecy was blown just burning very low and dim 
dim. And Eli was dim and his actions were very corrupt. A child was born by the name of Samuel that would be under the umbrella of Eli and be taught by him and instructed by him why to bring God's word back to Israel. Hannah was barren, but God said, I'll open your womb at the appropriate time so that I can have a light that's going to shine bright in Israel. It's not going to go out. It's going to persevere. Someone say amen. When the kingdom's disintegrating under the hand of Saul, God sent a son to Jesse by the name of David, whom that man God would choose to be the next king and the ruler of his people. And yet in what it seems like at now, this hour in the Old Testament book of Genesis, an hour without the voice, an hour without the presence because they've disengaged, an hour of prayerlessness, God now again, amen, raises up a man, raises up a child by the name of Seth in the stead of the killed baby Abel. Amen. Hallelujah. Someone say amen. And where on one hand Cain would be the fugitive and Cain would be the vagabond and Cain would be the wanderer and the descendants of wanderers. Amen. God instituted Seth whose name means set and settled and placed and appointed. On one lineage through Adam and Eve he had a Cain, a wanderer. But God said I can't leave society like that. I'm going to rear up a settled, a set, a placed, appointed race. Say glory. And it would be through the set and the settled, the appointed, that another child would be born by the name of Enos, which means to be or to become weak, faint, frail. They're like, well, that's great. <laughs> and you just like deflated the balloon there. But with the birth of Enos came the underscoring of the idea of lack. With the birth of Enos, if I could say it like this, with the birth of the needy, necessitated then the access to his presence because there's need. Need always precedes access to his presence. To his voice. And it caused to arouse in the hearts of the men of the descendants of Seth. And their generation. It provoked that men would call upon the name of the Lord. On Cain's side, while they had knowledge about tents and knew how to deal with cattle and be profitable about that. And how they knew how to work with the iron and work with the brass and seemed like all knowledge was with them. And they knew all the fineries of life over there. God would raise up somebody frail. God would raise up somebody weak. God would raise up somebody faint. Because in doing so, he knew men in that position would turn around and say, I'm in need of his presence. I'm in need of his voice. I'm in need of prayer. Because we have the weak here. We have the faint here. <laughs> we have the one that just, you know, you're reaching as high as you can go and it still just isn't doing what needs to be done right here. As a matter of fact, about 240 years after the creation of Adam, the birth of Enos, a need, gave rebirth to prayer, a necessity.
And so things haven't differed much between now and then. I know in some levels and respects, okay, yes. I enjoy the air we have tonight. It is on. No, I'm just joking. But the sacred history of mankind and humanity boiled down basically to two families of that hour. Those that were the descendants of Cain and those that were the descendants of Seth, both of these prior to the flood. Those of the descendants of Cain being a family, if you will, a secular family. Those of the descendants of Seth being the sacred family. I know we have high class, middle class, and low class. We engage that a lot of time by financial means. But in essence, there's still two classes, the secular and the sacred. Amen. Someone say amen. And everything we know concerning Cain's family had to do with the secular side of things. The tents and the cattle. The music such as the harps and the organs. The metals such as the brass and the iron. But in Seth's family, we don't see a list of those type of things in Seth's descendants and lineage. The first thing we hear of, men are calling. <laughs> Whew! On the name of the Lord. While that lineage over there is talking about the gold and the silver and all that, this lineage over here talking about men casting all their care upon the Lord. Men putting their dependence on something because they can't depend upon themselves. Ladies, oh God, that are travailing with groanings that cannot be uttered. Someone say hallelujah. I doubt not that they probably had their secular achievements. No doubt they did as well. But those things were eclipsed by the sacred achievements that were in their family. The secular side of their life was eclipsed by the spiritual and the sacred, amen, things in their life. Let me tell you when things get imbalanced, that's whenever the secular things of your life begin to eclipse the spiritual things in your life. You need to turn that thing around. Let the sacred, let the holy, let the spiritual forever eclipse the secular. In our lives. Someone say amen. amen. And so they began to call on the name of the Lord. It gave a rebirth. It gave a revival to prayer. Amen. There in chapter number four of Genesis. Because in some of the successive chapters of Genesis. Namely Genesis 12 and 13 and 21 and 26. We say the see the same verbiage spilled again. It's men of different people. Of different sections of time. What are they doing? They're calling. They're calling. They're praying. They're talking to God. They're building altars. They're calling upon the name of the Lord. And surprisingly enough tonight, again, remember Cain had an Enoch and Seth's line had an Enoch. As a matter of fact, if you look at the different names in some of these lineages, there's a lot of similarities or some even the same. There was Enoch and Enoch. In Cain there was Irad and Seth there was Jared. In Cain there was Mahujael and Seth there was Mahalalel. In Cain there was Methusael and Seth there was Methuselah. And Cain there was Lamech. And Seth there was Lamech. Similar. Named. Similar. But the lines were still very distinct. One's prayerless. The other prayerful. <laughs> the Enoch of Seth's line walked with God. Pleased God. 
and was not. The Noah that flowed from a sex line walked with God. Bible says he was a just man. He was perfect in his generations. He was a preacher of righteousness. And both Enoch and this Noah stemmed from a heritage of prayer. Because a heritage of prayer will give you people that walk with God. A heritage of prayer will give you just men and women. A heritage of prayer will rise people that are pleasing to God. A heritage of prayer will raise up righteous preachers of righteousness. Someone say amen. Prayer produces those mature, perfect people in their generations. Preachers of righteousness. Prayer. That's the heritage. That's the line. That's where those type of things come from. You can call the medals, the music, and all that. You can give those to Cain. But whenever it comes to the spiritual and the sacred, amen, such things as pleasing God, walking with God, that's only because they had a heritage of prayer. What are you doing tonight? I'm, I'm, I'm gearing up for seven and nine services. That's what I'm doing. I'll never forget. My wife will probably remember. I'll never forget a prophetic utterance that was over our life in the year of 2004. Mariah wasn't even born or even in the womb at this time. It's in the month of November 2004. Never forget a prophetic utterance that was over our life. We were preaching a revival at a place. The man we were preaching for was a prophet, undoubtedly. And uh, God used him at the end of that service to speak into our lives. And I'll never forget Bishop McGee, some of the opening words of that prophecy. They still ring so very true in my ears. And the words were something along the lines of this. He said that, I, that the Lord said, I've seen thy dedication. He said, I'm visiting thee this night. He said, I will call you unto myself. Even this night, I will call you unto myself. And through the process of all these years, there was a whole lot more said than just that. But those words, that reiteration from the very onset of God calling me to himself. He wasn't calling me to a ministry. He wasn't calling me to some physical direction or location. But God was calling me to himself. And I dare to utter across this congregation tonight that if there's ever a calling that God has never stopped calling for, it's not your call for a Sunday school teacher. It's not your call for a choir member. It's not your call for a missionary or a preacher. But the ultimate undying call of the Lord is that he's calling you to himself. He's calling you and your life and the tributaries of your life to himself. Because you'll never properly or adequately function in a ministry. Amen. And receive that calling until you adequately receive the call unto him. Someone say amen. God's calling individuals. 
I believe that in this very hour, God's calling individuals and God is calling those who will take the call, churches, unto himself. Because if we accept the call and if we'll be diligent in the call to him, then he's gonna open the door for us to have a call to somebody else, to a world that's beyond the four walls of this assembly. But I can't function in that unless I'm faithful in my call unto him. Time's getting away, so I'll move. Acts 13. You know, I haven't necessarily put it up. There's Zach McGee, some of those iron sharpens iron men. You remember looking at this, don't you? A couple of guys, Barnabas, you can go on down through the scriptures there a little bit. Barnabas, Saul, separated by the Holy Ghost for the work which God wanted them to do. But in verse number two, the Bible says they ministered unto the Lord. And then they were separated for a work and a call that God had them to do. And it's only further down that the, 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 those of the presbytery and the ministry laid hands on them. And it was the Holy Ghost. It was sanctioned by the Holy Ghost that they were sent forth. They went forth. And then later in the scripture, somewhere around verse number five, they went to a certain location and they were preaching to people. And there was something I pointed out to our guys. I wish to point out to all of us tonight that those guys did not serve in their ministry until they ministered unto the Lord. Because the prerequisite to serving in the capacity of ministry is being able to be called to himself. Because to reverse the order is to really topsy-turvy things. And you'll find some ineffectiveness if you don't get first things first. Our first call is to him before our call is to anywhere else. Let me tell you something. I love studying God's word. I love studying it. I can study myself crazy. I'm telling you, whenever I'm over here at the church, normally you know what I'm doing? I'm studying. That's what I do for a living. I study. Study God's word. I read his, I read his word. I read his book. I pray and do all that. That's what I do for a living. Every once in a while I go around and we pray for folks. <laughs> but let me tell you something. I do you no service if I had on my mind frame all that study and everything I need to do to prepare a sermon and then somehow in the equation left him out of it? If I just want to spend 10 hours of studying his word and reading scriptures and all this, never pray, never talk to God, get up here and share a word from God, I'm doing you all a very great disservice because I can't actually function in the ministry until I call myself unto him. And that goes the same for you pastors, for Sunday school teachers. Honey, if you're so busy about getting just the right art and just the right craft and you haven't prayed and haven't communed and set yourself aside to God, you need to reverse that thing around and first answer the call to God. Amen. He's calling us to him, to himself. To not do that, we, we greatly handicapped ourselves to do otherwise. The commission for us to go in, into all the world in, in Mark 16, the commission to the disciples to go into all the world in Mark 16 was based upon the call in Luke 24 that first they would go to Jerusalem. What y'all boys doing there in Jerusalem? We're going to the upper room. What are you doing in the upper room? We're praying. Before they went to all the world, they went to God. Before they went to others with the gospel, they went to for whom the gospel came from. Before they ministered to others 
They spent seven to ten day prayer meeting in ministering to God. And as a result of what came from the empowerment of being ministering unto God, they were capable then to go to Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world to minister because they got the prayer with God. The rebirth of sin, something new. Although society may paint it as just, man, it's a new vein. No, this isn't new. Might be a rebirthing of it, but that's nothing new. Elisha left the auction. Elisha left the auction. When the mantle was laid on his shoulder from Elijah. Look now. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen and he with the 12. Look what he does. That mantle was laid on his shoulder. He sacrificed the secular and left that and went to minister, the Bible says, plainly. He ministered to Elijah. He sacrificed the secular and he secured the sacred. And for all those days that Elijah lived, or years, that Elisha walked with, talked with, ministered to. Elijah, for all those days and all those years that he ministered to Elijah, whenever Elijah departed, then Elisha, listen to me, was then at that point in time capable of ministering to all the people that he met and he come in contact to. How in the world so? Because he had ministered to the one who had called him. And since he ministered for those years and days to the one who had called him, he was then in a position capable of ministering to others. Second Kings 3 and verse number 11. I won't hold you much longer, but long enough. Second Kings 3 and verse number 11. The Bible says, but Jehoshaphat said, is there not here a prophet of the Lord? that we may inquire of the Lord by him. And one of the king of Israel's servants answered and said, Here is Elisha, the son of Shaphat, which poured water on the hands of Elijah. See, what happened right now, Jehoshaphat has joined himself with two other kings. They're going against the Moabites. They're wanting to have victory. But they've been several days now. I think somewhere around seven. They've been several days now. They've had no luck. That matter, they've been without some water. Things ain't looking good. Everybody say, there's need. There's need. And Jehoshaphat says, is there not a prophet of the Lord around here? There's just a servant over here in the shadows. Servant of Israel says, hey, there's Elisha, the son of Shaphat. But look what the servant did not do. He did not speak of all the great things that Elisha had performed. He didn't say of the miracles that had happened prior to this moment through the hands of Elisha. No, the most notable attribute that he could give unto Elisha was this, is that he poured water on the hands of Elisha. He couldn't talk. He did not talk, should I say, about how he had ministered to other people. But he talked about how he administered to the one who called him. Ladies and gentlemen, if there's ever to be any acclaim 
that's brought to you as an individual. Let it not be what you have done for Christ for others in the realm, amen, of the spirit in this world. But if there's ever a thing spoken over you, let it be this. They poured hands on the water of the Lord. They heard a voice. They were in his presence. They talked to God. They had a prayer life. They knew how to talk to the master and they heard the master talk to them. Say no more because he knew what he was saying in that instance. If I can find somebody to minister to God, they'll be capable of ministering to a need of many people. greatest credence that the servant could give was that he ministered to the one who had called him. Stand with me and you'll help me, all right? You guys don't realize how much you help me when you stand. Now next time I'm hearing you preaching and someone keeps standing from the very setting of reading scripture, I'm going to know what you're up to. You're trying to help me early out, aren't you? The distinguishing then element for the society then and now. And this didn't happen to come to me today either, but tomorrow's May the second national day of prayer. The distinguishing element of our society then and now. It's not even what we do tomorrow during the national day of prayer. It's what we do every day in prayer. And answering our first call. Our first call is always the call to himself because whenever we pray when we pray and simply praying we're admitting need somebody hearing me right now in the simple practice of praying we are admitting need and when we pray we hear bishop the voice maybe not an audible maybe an impression maybe intuitively but we hear the voice of the Lord that voice, that impression, folks, is the evidence of his presence in your life, in the life of church. And whenever we have talked to God, then we can effectively talk about God to somebody else. And let me state this. We don't have to have a need to see we are in need of prayer. So everything's going fine right now this week, Brother McGee, so I don't have a need. Listen, Enos. Weak. Frail. Faint. Listen here, Enos. By virtue of who you are, that presents the need. <laughs> that presents the need. Our need is our humanity, our frailness, our weakness, our faintness. That enough, that there is enough to give a rebirth to prayer. If it's died, if it's simmered and whittled down to nothing. I say this, and this is not a sword going in the fifth rib, but listen, humanity at its best is enough to populate the third Thursday of power hour of prayer at the first apostolic church humanity by itself the frailness of humanity and I'm closing I am finally brethren listen so a rebirth of prayer will be a rebirth of his voice a rebirth of prayer will be a rebirth of his presence 
be a, a calling of us to himself. I want to read this last scripture. Luke 22, verse 44. Sister McGee, it should be the last scripture. If not, it's going to be. And being in agony, speaking of Jesus, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Now over time, from my understanding and reading, that Jesus' agony in the garden, his agony of was a, what was about ready to culminate right here in his life. His sweat, as though it were great drops of blood, is actually a real medical condition that can take place. That a person can be so overwhelmed that the capillaries in their pores can actually burst and when they would sweat, blood would issue forth from their pores. That happened when he was engaged in prayer. When he gave himself, called himself into the Lord. But here is the wow moment for me. They say that whenever that condition happens of the capillaries burst in there near or about the pores and that it could actually issue forth from the pores, that whenever that happens, that makes the whole flesh and the skin of a human being raise in its level of sensitivity. That it's a whole lot more sensitive at that moment than it's ever sensitive any other time whenever that occurs. They're more sensitive than ever. And so something translates that in my mind as a preacher. That whenever I find a place to pray. And I dig in deep. And I hear that voice. And I feel that presence. And I answer the call of me to himself. And in that deep agony of strain of prayer. That God can increase my sensitivity. To the world around me. To others around me to the needs that are around me that may not be so keenly aware had I not entered that place of prayer. But entering that place of prayer raises my sensitivity to the world that I'm living in, to the church that I go to church at, to the people that I minister to. If I just call and answer the call, rather, to God himself, it opens just a sensitivity to the need that's around me. I'm asking every individual in the sound of my voice if you're willing or capable to tonight. Prayer is no new thing, but I'm asking tonight in this sanctuary that God could somehow call us. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.